Hello and welcome to the podcast of power, Ashira and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we're back in the saddle, back with it with season two. We took, you know, time off due to events, which you can uh, see documented in our previous episode and on our Twitter, but we're back now. Yep, we're back. Um, it was uh, it was an, it was a needed break, um, but you know, things seem to be going in a in a better direction now. And uh, yeah, so so we're we're back in the saddle. And we're talking about season two, episode two, ties that bind, which is a pun title uh, because Catra is tied up for the whole episode. Yes, um, and she's also an absolute terror for the entirety of it, which is very fun. Yeah, this is a great Catra episode. If you love to see Catra being smug and horrible to people for about uh, 15 minutes, which I do. I love seeing that. Yeah, that's, I mean, really, that's what you come here for, right? Like, that's that's the main event. I think this is kind of the episode that sold Catra as my favorite character. Like, she's just so good in this episode. Yeah, like, just, you. it doesn't get any better than this. It just she's she's catty and she's mean and she's annoying and she's just perfect at getting under everybody's skin like it's it's really a tour de force but before we get to all of the fun catcher stuff we should start off with kind of the other half of this episode the b plot of this episode um which is all about adora and swift wind trying to forge their sacred bond and repair some old First Ones tech that Light Hope needs to, like, uh, operate at full capacity. Yeah, so they kind of set up the episode, right, where um, Adora's doing some training. She's um, fighting a virtual one of those, like, new upgraded bots. And she also, she uses a grappling hook transformation of the sword, which apparently comes up more than once. I didn't remember that. I was like, I saw it and I was like, why don't you use that more often? Because it seems like it'd be really useful. I'm almost certain it comes up at least one more time, maybe a few more times. Like, it's it's one that I remember. I think it might come up in the Crimson Waste episodes. Oh, you know what? That sounds right. I feel like I remember a grappling hook in those. But anyway, so yeah, Swift One shows up and they start trying to train. Um, unfortunately, Light Hope, uh, her processing power is not great. She keeps, like, stuttering and, like, restarting, and her face turns into a Picasso painting. It's just, it's not a fun time for her, really. So, um, so Doran Swiftwind go off to fix her, her computer brain, um, that happens to be out in the middle of a wheat field somewhere. Right, and immediately they run into some sort of friction where, uh, Dora is very duty-minded right now. She is super focused on her training and not becoming another Mara, whereas Swiftwind is just his general self, his his general sort of free-spirited self. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um and really it kind of brings up that dynamic that we've talked about before where um Light Hope kind of represents like um the call to action, the call um to uh to perform duty, right? Whereas Swiftwind kind of represents more of like I guess the, the, the call to freedom and and self-expression being more more in tune with yourself um, versus the concept of duty and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of what he's saying here is like he he's 
much more in tune with her emotions than even Adora is, which frankly isn't very hard. Adora would not know what her emotions were if you like held up a sign to her face that told her what she was feeling. Uh, yeah. And also she wears them on her sleeve and like just everywhere, really. She wears a t-shirt that just says them on there. But she can't read it. She can't read it. But yeah, they uh, they kind of discover that this watchtower is just a bunch of floating rocks. It's completely obliterated. So stubbornly, Adora tries to just sort of tie them all together with a lasso. Yeah, she kind of wrangles them up like they're a bunch of like they're a bunch of cows. And the that doesn't work, obviously. So instead, she actually talks to Swiftwind and Nino. They kind of come to their understanding. But the, there's a lot of very fun animation before that. There's a part where Swiftwind gets really close uh, up in Adora's face and his horn goes through her hair poof that looks very funny. Oh yeah, that one. That one's quite good. It's like, hey, hey Swiftwind, be more careful. You almost impaled the poor girl. And he's, he's constantly talking about doing loop-de-loops and having fun and, and blowing off some steam while she is just sometimes just not even responding to him at all, just completely narrow, single-minded on, on this on this task. Yeah, and uh, it, it introduces just a little bit of friction, it seems. But they end up uh, working it out, and they, they actually do forge their sacred bond and start glowing, and they, they put the, uh, the watchtower back together and fix Light Hope. Um, interestingly enough, one of the things uh, Swiftwind lists as his likes and things he enjoys is um, destroying de- uh, corrupt systems. So we're still on we're still on that comrade Swiftwind train. Don't you worry. Oh yeah, it's just it, it kind of gets it kind of gets relegated to the background a little bit, but no, comrade Swiftwind is very much still present. And Adora comes back from her her errands and like man, we had Swiftwind and I had a great time. We forge our sacred bond, put a watchtower back together, um, and she finds Bo and Glimmer just completely exhausted and covered in dirt and, like, scratches. And they say, let me t- let me tell you about the day we had. Yes. So, about the day that they had. So, the episode opens up with uh, Bo kind of revealing to Glimmer one of the discoveries uh, that he made at the very end of the last episode, which is that the inside of these new battle bots has First One's tech in it. And of course, who is the one person on Etheria that he's aware of who's been doing experiments on this kind of stuff? Well, it's Entrapta. So he comes to the conclusion that, you know, she's probably still alive. And, you know, they kind of have a pretty uh not fun conversation where they uh they figure out not only is she alive but they did leave her behind and that's not exactly great glimmer takes it really hard she's the one who says no we can't get adora we can't get the princesses like we can't get anyone for this the reason she's there in the first place is because she came to rescue us so we need to rescue her um and it turns out that actually recently the Horde has captured Drill and the Crypto Castle, obviously because Entrapta just kind of let them in the front door, but, like, they don't know that. Yeah. Another thing is, this is this is a great example of Glimmer just being, like, just super, super emotionally driven, right? Like, she's, she's like, no, we have to go save uh, Entrapta. It's our responsibility. We can't let anybody else 
like participate in this or, or, or get hurt. You know, it's our responsibility. And it's like, understandable, understandable impulse. You probably should bring a third person if you're assaulting a castle. Just ask anybody. You don't have to bring all of them. Just call up any one of the princesses or like Spinnerella and Atossa. I'm sure they would go with you. Just just get anybody at all. Yeah, get the get the captain of the guard. Like Grey Delisle probably help you out. I think her character's name is like Juliet. Yeah, like 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 she'll she'll be helpful at least a little bit. Anybody, but they don't. Um, they teleport right to Drill, and they find. Uh, while they're hiding, Catra walks out and just makes the most nightmarish cat yawn noise I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, like, I want to know what the stage direction on that one was, because, like... I want to see AJ Machalka do that with her mouth. I don't understand how she did it. Yeah. Honestly, voice acting is an arcane art. It really is. Like, we, we just... We can never know the the mystical... Uh, machinations of their craft yeah but they uh but glimmer kind of overhears catra talking to kyle about uh one of intrepid's robots that is apparently having an existential crisis and just going completely crazy um which he's trying to wrangle and of course she only hears intrepid going like why are you doing this to me and just sort of assumes uh the worst and just leaps into action without thinking yeah which uh part for the course for her but to her credit, out of context, that voice clip does really sound like she's getting tortured, so I can kind of understand uh, why she's going to fly off the handle a little bit. Yeah, she she flies at Catra, they get into a scruff, and we really get to see Catra being very scary in this brief scuffle they have. Um, there's some great animation on Glimmer and Scorpia's brief fight. It's really smooth, it looks really good. Yeah, and then you have the bit between Catra and Bo, where Catra is just like like Matrix dodging the arrows in midair. She just like pushes one out of the way and then jumps on him and like roars at him. And it's really, really like Catra would just be nightmarish to fight. I feel like. Yeah, there's the the moment where he like draws the bow and fires, and he has that confident smirk on his face, and then Catra just starts running at him, and he just gets completely frightened and starts like panic firing arrows. Yeah, I mean, I would like, jeez. <laughs> but long story short, they end up teleporting around the crypto castle and manage to capture Catra. They manage to hit her with a net arrow, and they've got her prisoner. Yeah, they kind of like. They teleport outside of the castle, and uh, they're, like, falling through the air a bit, and uh, Glimmer just, just tr- like, kicks her right in the face and just knocks her out, essentially. Really uh, set her up there to get tied up. So now, of course, they have a hostage. Bo's not a fan of that. But really, really, who's who's hostage here? Um, because Catra is just dead set. Um, being just a terror to both of these people. No, yeah, Catra is the one who is in control this entire time, but in Bo's mind, that's not the case. Um, as far as Bo's concerned, this is them basically employing horde tactics, like the Rebellion doesn't take prisoners, the Rebellion doesn't take hostages, this feels wrong, we should just let her go, but Glimmer is not willing to do that, because Glimmer is like, uh, hi, 
remember all the things she's done to us and also how she captured us and also how she captured and trapped and is torturing her we shouldn't just let her go it's a glimmer this is an eye for an eye this is like just desserts for catra here yeah uh it's a Bo really does sort of take the the moral high ground that the rebellion uh has very seriously he does not want to compromise that and he truly believes in it it seems yeah, which is a good thing because um, that that absolutely comes into play many, many times in the future. Um, that being said, I'm not 100% not on, on Glimmer's side in this situation because, like, I mean, they are kind of in a war. Like, I don't think it's necessarily morally bad to want to, you know, take a high-ranking officer prisoner to exchange for another prisoner that you think is being tortured, I feel like that's probably morally fine, or at least, you know, it kind of evens out a little bit. Yeah, like, it's basic tactics. Just traitor for entrapta, one for one. It's not like you're dunking her in water or anything. You're just... Well... just tied some vines well, around. Well, not on purpose. Not on purpose. They, they do kind of have a waterfall incident. They're one of those classic waterfall incidents. Uh, you know how it goes. But yeah, they, as they, as they're walking, uh, the, the animation on Catcher throughout this entire segment is just so good and so characterful of her just being, she's so floppy and so like smug the entire time. There's a part where they're like, get up and walk. And she just like flops over and says, oh no, I guess you gotta carry me. Yeah, she's just like, she's like, oh, gotta carry me. And then like, there's a point when, when Glimmer just has to drag her like a sack by a rope. Catra like, like Glimmer's holding her by like the scruff and she just licks her whole arm and... (laughs) It's just, she's just an absolute terror the whole time. Like, Glimmer's like, Bo, can't you get her to shut up? And he's like, I would, but she bites. Holds up his arm covered in scratches and bite marks. God. Just going to town. It's, yeah, she, uh, there's, there's this conversation she and Bo have where Bo is trying to, you know, he's doing his Bo thing. He's trying to emotionally connect with people which Catra is not about, and he's like, well, what about, like, friends? I'm sure people have friends in the Horde. What about Adora? And Catra's only response is to, like, growl at him. Yeah, like, uh, she's, she's having, she's having an absolute ball just being a nuisance to everyone, but, um, just don't bring Adora into this, um, because that's when it stops being fun for her, and that ends up happening, um, right towards the end, where, you know, Glimmer just, like, gets absolutely fed up, and she's like, how on earth did Adora put up with you for years? Like, she didn't run away from the Horde, she ran away from you. And that's the, that's the moment when it just stops being fun for, for, uh, Catra over here. Right, that's where they actually, like, hit a nerve, and she gets legit mad. Um, I was like, well, she's just gonna leave you too. She's off being She-Ra. She's not here right now. What do you think? She's gonna stick by you? No, she's not. Yeah, and it's like... And honestly, I think that that kind of got Glimmer a little bit too, because I think Glimmer um, does kind of have that, like, inkling in the back of her head a little bit. Yeah, it's a really good moment where you you do see just sort of the shift in Catra's demeanor. Um, briefly, she goes back to her, her smugness once Scorpion and the gang show up. 
but there there's the moment where the shell cracks and you do see her genuine anger and frustration at, at that adora situation uh bleed through there yeah exactly exactly like you get you get a few fun little little crack moments like that uh, in this episode and uh, i'm sure we'll be seeing more of them in the future uh speaking of scorpion the gang we the the sort of c plot i guess is uh scorpia looking for catra she's just so very worried and overprotective this entire time she's like having a panic attack in the in the fright zone she's like she's like oh if they, if they touch a single hair on her head i don't know what i'll do she's like she's almost crying she is hysterical um but thankfully, thankfully, Katra had an opportunity to hit the homing beacon, uh, conveniently located in her Force Captain badge, and uh, and was able to uh, to let them know where they are. Scorpia is just instantly just picks everybody up under her arms and runs out of the building like a linebacker. It's incredible. Yeah, she's she is really just a she's a freight train when it comes to protecting Katra. She calls her a beautiful genius when she sees the homing beacon. Yeah, yeah. That's, listen, Scorpia and Catcher are, are still such a, like, that's such a power ship. It still really is. Like, that's that's still one of my absolute favorites. It's quite good. Uh, speaking of the homing thing, though, like, that was set up earlier in the episode, too, when Scorpia was completely lost in the Crypto Castle's, like, labyrinthine interior. Catra just turns on the homing beacon in her badge and says, all right, follow this. I'll help you get out of there. Oh, yeah. There you go. It's a uh, real uh, masters of, of setup and payoff. But yeah, then there's one last scene here where the, the whole time Catra has been, you know, ha- keeping the ruse going about, oh, we have entrapped a prisoner and we're torturing her. As she's not. A, I wish she could say the same about entrapped. As she's not in one piece anymore. But as soon as she's out of their hands, she reveals, oh no, Entrapped is fine. She lives, She loves it there. She's doing all this of her own volition. Yeah, and she's even like, oh, don't believe me? Here, talk to her yourself. And then Trapta gets on the horn and she's just like, oh, hey, what's up? And they're like, oh, we're going to come to rescue you. And she's like, oh, thanks, but I'm good. I'm doing science. She, she says, oh, that's nice. Why? <laughs> she's like, oh, that's nice. And they're just like, uh, did you... Are you, are you joining the Horde? And she's like, well, I mean, they're supplying me with all of my stuff, so I guess. But I'm really happy here, so don't worry about me. And they're just, like, horribly betrayed and entrapped. Just completely oblivious. She has no idea that they feel betrayed. Yeah, they're, she isn't really thinking about, like, she isn't joining the Horde's cause. She's just there because that's where the science is. She doesn't really get the, like, sort of ramifications of that decision i think yeah she's not exactly she's not exactly a political mind she doesn't really think about the the ethical implications of her experiments very often oh and trapped it just show, goes to show you we do the, the science cannot exist without the humanity's arm around it we gotta we gotta make sure to keep everybody grounded it's very true it's very very true also like a political education is probably pretty important for that triangle that that makes the good stuff happen it really is um but with that uh that that wraps up the episode but we have quite a few uh curious catchers this week yeah we got some questions which is good because you know these these season two episodes might be a little bit shorter because a lot of them are very much filler or like like character work episodes that are just sort of fun and breezy 
That is definitely the case for next week's episode, Signal, which is about as close to the show has as a pure filler episode. Like, it's nothing really happens in Signals. Like, it does not have a main plot. I, I literally didn't even remember anything about that episode until until Nero was like, hey, that's next week's episode. And I was like, I'm sorry, what episode? <laughs> uh, the week after that is the snow one, though, so look forward to that. Ooh, very fun. Yeah, so we've got a few curious catchers here. Uh, these first three questions are here from Anonymous. Uh, a lot of these got sent in a few days ago, a few a couple of weeks ago. Um, apologies for the delay, but we're getting to you now. Uh, don't say that we were we uh, we ignore any questions that we just might be late. Exactly, exactly. Um, also, just to mention it up front, uh, we did get another email from Harry Henderson. Harry Henderson. Um, once again, we'll, we'll address all of the big email questions at the end of the season because um, because they do get pretty complicated, and we want to give them like lots and lots of time and uh, lots of wiggle room to to kind of indulge in the questions but uh but yes we got your email uh it's really good it's fantastic and as a reminder we're going to be doing a combined season two and season three uh season wrap-up because they're basically one season yeah like they're they're both quite short and they they end up like combining to the length of a normal season more or less all right but let's hit anonymous's question here on curious catra do you think that while swiftwind was absent in the show before showing with bright moon to find adora uh, he was out freeing all the horses or just anytime he's not in an episode he's freeing them uh, is that why he stops talking about it since the revolution happened without anyone noticing i don't remember the best friend squad running into any other horses that uh, he freed just food for thought based on episode 10 of the podcast i mean i think the answer is absolutely yes like uh, i mean he says as much right like a few times um that he's like been out freeing horses and whatnot i'm not sure if we if we see any of those horses uh that he frees but like rest assured i he is definitely doing that in the background like there's not a lot of places you would see a horse like there's no carriages or anything we never see any mounted cavalry like stuff like so they're just off screen somewhere and we just have to trust his uh word i trust his word yeah i i trust comrade swiftwin all right anonymous uh once again asks I didn't realize until you called it being glimmered in your latest episode that you're actually using glimmer sound effects to bleep your swears, and now I am reveling in the delicious irony. Is there an S-pop character you think would be more likely than Glimmer to swear constantly if this wasn't a Y7 show? Or would Glimmer be the undisputed queen of potty mouth? This is true. Glimmer would be cursing constantly if this show had a higher rating. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, Catra and Glimmer both, I think, would swear just up and down all over the place. Like, Glimmer would swear the most, just constantly, but Catra, Catra would be much more pointed about it. She would, she would be very targeted and, and absolutely, uh, absolutely vicious with her swearing. Yeah, Glimmer, she gets very frustrated very easy. All of these exasperated groans that she does, you can easily just slot some swears into that, like, no problem. And that's that's quite a lot already. Um, Katra, she's, she, she describes it like the precision strike. She, she would not quite, you know, be quite so uh, continuously potty-mouthed as Glimmer, but she would definitely have the, the right word at the right time to just do maximum damage. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, anyone, anyone, would anyone else swear though? Like obviously those two. 
I don't like Scorpia definitely wouldn't. Yeah, no, Scorpia doesn't Scorpia doesn't know what a swear is. Um Mermista would. Mermista would for sure. Adora wouldn't. She doesn't know what a swear is. Um or does she because Catra taught her, but she only knows a few of them. Catra definitely taught her swears, but I don't think Adora swears very often. Like she'll she'll do it sometimes, but only when she's really frustrated or something. And she would immediately apologize. Yeah. Um Perfuma <laughs> Perfuma is thinking every swear in the book constantly. Oh yeah. Perfuma in her head is like she's a sailor, right? But she's so she she's just always centering herself and doing breathing exercises and doing everything she can to stay outwardly tranquil as much as possible. But if if that ever broke, if that facade ever breaks, watch out. Absolutely. I think it'd be very funny if Frost has sweared once very loudly. Oh yeah, like for sure. She would she would drop the F bomb one time, just but like the loudest and probably most out of nowhere F bomb, uh, maybe ever. Yeah. Uh I don't think Spinnerella and Natasa are, are are swear fiends, I don't think. No, probably not. I feel like they, they're they're a little too high class for that. Angela though. Mm, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Angela, like, almost certainly, right? But, like, not in front of the kids. No, no, certainly not in front of the kids. Um, yeah, I think that, that about, uh, sort of centers our, our swear, uh, swearometer for now. Um, we got a third anonymous here. Uh, the second half of this season is, or the second half of this uh, question is sort of spoilery. Um, so I think we'll hit that in the spoiler zone, but the first part isn't. Um, Spinnerella and Natasa are on the walls of the Princess Alliance meeting room. Could this mean that they were original members of the Alliance with Glimmer's dad? I think that's just true. I think they mentioned that, like, they're the only ones who stuck around. Yeah, that's right, they do. So, so yeah, they were, they were definitely, like, original, original Alliance members. Uh, they've been around for a while, I mean... Ages are pretty fast and loose in this show, but, like, they're definitely, like, probably the oldest of the the Princess Alliance, I would imagine. Like, probably definitely older than Entrapta, even. Like, I was, like, I'm imagining, like, late 30s, probably. Yeah, late 30s, early 40s, definitely. Like, I think Natasha has, like, elf ears, so it's kind of hard to tell how old anyone is, but, like, that's roughly the the age you're supposed to view them as they're like the team moms exactly exactly like they're actually you know what they're not around enough for that they're the team aunts they are the team aunts that's exactly what it is now of course uh cast a spell would just be devastated to hear that but they kind of are the team aunts she needs to show up to meetings more if she wants to take that slot it's true she really does all right, we got another one here uh, from a non-anonymous Curious Cat user. We got Char underscore doesn't know uh, on Curious Cat who asks, Swiftwind do be having those coping mechanisms with the loop-the-loops, but for real, this kind of shows how crap Adoras are. I'm probably looking way too far into it, but Adora doesn't have great coping mechanisms, and Swiftwind's just trying to help a girl out. Oh yeah, like Adora has no coping skills at all. Her coping skill is if I just don't think about it, um, everything will be fine. I just ignore it and just do my job and everything will be just fine and all this will go away. I mean, we've seen her coping. Her coping is time to train. Like, that's it. 
that's all she's got. Yeah, time to go punch a bunch of nonsense um, for a few hours. It's exactly what she's doing in this episode, and it doesn't really help at all. No, it really, really, really doesn't. Uh, she's she's got a long way to go on that one. Like Swiftwind is trying to help her out a little bit. He gets a little self-helpy at a certain point. He's like, oh, let's list all of our favorite things. Like, this is the sound of music, but, you know. Yeah, but then they have a real conversation, thankfully, because, that, yeah, that doesn't work. You can't just do that. No, no. Unfortunately, as unfortunately, no, it doesn't. It seems to only work in the context of uh, small children and thunderstorms. Yeah, that that uh, that's generally where that works. But yeah, as we said, Swiftwind is the as the uh, freedom part of this dichotomy between him and Light Hope really does kind of fit that because he's the one who like you need a release valve at some point. You cannot just keep going with all this serious stuff and then because you, you'll just collapse, you'll just exp- you'll just implode. Yeah, exactly. Like. You, you gotta have uh, a way to, to stress release, right? Like, it is not, it's not an uncommon coping skill, right? Where you're like, well, I'm gonna throw myself super heavy into my work or my training or whatever it is you're doing, and that's, like, the way that you deal with, you know, your problems, but, like, that doesn't actually provide you any kind of release, and it just kind of makes things dramatically worse. So, so yeah, she she definitely needs to learn some better skills and one of them um is gonna be like actually talking about her problems instead of just constantly saying that everything is fine in like the most i'm not fine voice humanly possible yeah she's she's gotta work on that but we'll we'll get there i'm sure yes it might take a while but we will get there all right we've got uh, a twitter question here from amelia griffin uh once again from a few weeks ago what are your thoughts on the Glimtress ship? Or I, I prefer to call it Glitra, a bit less of a, a mouthful. These two are different sides of the same coin and more similar than they want to admit. Catch it over forever, but I live life on the edge with Glitra too. I I do I do appreciate a good Glitra now and again. Yeah, like like Glitra Glitra is fun, right? It's got like it's got some really interesting dynamics to it. It's got a lot of like the same kind of rival energy to it that uh, Catrador has for most of its runtime, but uh, it's I feel like it's a little more intense be- uh, between uh, Catra and Glimmer. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit more personal, right? Um, listen, I've got a terminal case of multi-shipper brain. I do not care. Like... I have the things that I really like, but also, like, Glitra's fun. It's a fun, like, ship to think about. It's always fun to have a good rival ship. It, it really is. Like, we were, we were talking about this a little bit, and we're going to get a little bit more into this once we get the spoiler zone, because there's a lot to talk about there. But there's, you know, it's just, it's the inherent homoeroticism of just beating the snot out of each other. It's, it, it's, it just is... Yeah, I think that'll do it for our questions. Thank you all for sending them in. Um, before we hit the spoiler zone, I would like to, you know, remind everyone you can find us on Twitter. Ooh, sorry, bump my mic there. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast of Power. Um, you can find us on Tumblr, I believe, at this uh, at uh, That's mostly just used for episode uh, links. But if you want to send some asks there, I guess you can. Um, if you're a Tumblr user and you don't use anything else. There's so many vectors for you to send us questions now. 
if you want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash podcast of power. We are doing two shows. We are doing the uh, currently we are doing the Kipo cast and the Owl cast where we watch and talk about Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts and the Owl House, respectively. Um, both of the first episodes of those are out and we uploaded the first Kipo cast to the main feed last week. The, both of those shows are a lot of fun. Yeah, they're they're great. They're not quite um, the same as Shira in a lot of ways, but like they're they're really really fun, and I think that uh, I think that people who who enjoy Shira would like get a lot out of both of them. Um, and also sometimes we do like little side bonus stuff. Like we did one with um, uh, this personality, you know, which Shira character you test that. Um, Noel Stevenson had the crew do before they started production, and we're probably going to do some stuff with um, the like Codex book they released, and hopefully the the Legend of the Fire Princess too. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover the data book. We'll cover the the Flame Princess book. We'll cover any other like auxiliary Shira Princesses of Power content. Um, we've got some stretch goals on our Patreon that you can look at, and uh, I'd just like to shout out our our new three dollar patrons who joined today brennan fitzgerald and david welcome thank you for the support yeah welcome welcome to uh to force captain status it's uh you'll like it here but with that i think we are about to ready to head into the spoiler zone what do you say sounds good so for those of you who are not joining us uh we'll catch you later but for those of you who are we'll see you on the other side Let's talk about glimmer yes let's talk about glimmer so this episode brings up like i think really the start of of this arc with glimmer where there's this internal struggle between glimmer wanting to do the moral thing the right thing the you know supposedly correct thing that the rebellion is supposed to do that upholds the morals of her mother and and the legacy and whatnot but there's the other half of her and the other half of her really 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 just wants to end the horde by any means possible um and as fast as possible and um, not it's not entirely just uh, an emotional response. Some of that is also like revenge and that kind of thing. She needs catharsis, and that is what she's seeking. And often, you know, you'll you'll try the easy route for catharsis. You'll just you know destroy your enemies and do the thing that feels good in the moment. But like, there's perils to that perils to revenge you can find any number of stories about how uh revenge is you know bad yeah it's it's got it's got problems in it and you know one of the things is this this struggle between trying to deal with her sense of she has 
it's not just, I think, revenge and catharsis a little bit. I think also she has a very different sense of justice than a lot of the other people in the Rebellion do. Like, certainly I think Bo and her are pretty diametrically opposed um, on what justice means. Like, I think Glimmer, for the most part, is of the opinion that people who are monsters don't really deserve to continue being alive and certainly once we get into season four uh she's she's gonna follow through on that mindset or at least attempt to um yeah Bo, for his part is a lot more able to sort of see the individuals in the horde like he's always trying to emotionally connect with people like he does in this episode with katra he attempts to uh, he did it in the first episode with Adora. Like he's someone who want, who wants more reparations, I guess you could say. And Glimmer is someone who is much more about justice, swift justice. Which both of those are attractive ideas. They really are. And honestly, I think I think if I was in the same position, I would probably be where Glimmer is sitting a lot of the times. Like, I mean, in this episode in particular, I mean, her entire perception right now is that Katra captured and tortured both of them and is now captured and tortured and trapped and is forcing her to make weapons of war against her will um, under threat of massive pain or death. So as far as Glimmer is concerned... This woman is an absolute monster and deserves to die. So it's not surprising to me that there is a bit uh, in the episode where Glimmer is willing to straight up kill her. Um, you know, Bo is there to to convince her otherwise. You know, to tell her that you know they're not the horde. They're not them. You know, they they don't go that far, right? So so she stands down. But once we start hitting season four. You know, especially, you know, post-Angela, like, that kind of reasoning just doesn't fly with her anymore. There is a tension in Glimmer's character that, like you said, starts here. But what I appreciate about it is that this isn't the resolution to it. This keeps going and going throughout season three and four. There's there's a fight scene in season four where she attacks Catra and is just shooting huge lasers at her. Like, these are not, like playtime sparkles this isn't pocket sand she is shooting like level three marvel supers at her yeah and that actually brings up another thing i wanted to talk about in this case which is like glimmer goes for kill shots especially in season four like she will kill you if she wants to and gets the chance to catch her on the other hand interestingly that i remember i don't believe she ever goes for a kill shot like she will hurt you and she will try and capture you or incapacitate you but i do not remember her ever going for an actual kill like the closest would have been at the very end of promise where she tries to like knock her off that cliff but i don't think that she ever really intended to kill her in that moment either like she kind of like she says something to the effect in a in a episode i think the episode after that where she was like you know i never thought that was going to finish you off or anything i figured you would weasel your way out of it like you always do so i don't think she was in the headspace of murder in that situation but like but glimmer absolutely can and will get in the murder headspace very quickly yeah i'm thinking throughout all of the like encounters katra has throughout the show and even in her fight with Hordak at the end of season four, 
She's not really going for kills. The, the the forge falling on him was just kind of a happy accident. Even that didn't really, that didn't kill him. It just hurt him a whole lot. Yeah, like that was the kind of situation where I think she was just trying to be up very high to avoid his gigantic laser gun. Um, and it just so happens that Hordak is kind of a dumbass and he kind of set off his own destruction a little bit in the situation. He was just kind of wildly firing everywhere, because um, he was quite mad, understandably mad, at that point. Yeah, yeah, Catra did uh, piss him off just, just a touch, just a smidge. You know, we'll talk a lot about Glimmer's character arc in Season 4, and it's really interesting. I feel like she is... Her actions in Season 4 definitely put her in the wrong, but like it's not necessarily from the start. And, you know, part of that is that Shadow Weaver is there telling her, the you know, giving her the worst advice, trying to shape her into what she wants to do, which is she wants that power at the heart of Etheria. Yeah. It's interesting. It's very interesting, but the thing that Shadow Weaver neglects to realize, right, is how Glimmer... So one of the things with a lot of Shadow Weaver's, like, pawns, right, is she manipulates them and... Sorry, we're about to have another Shadow Weaver conversation, just sort of happens. But one of the things that she does with her pawns is she will manipulate them with kind of this internal assumption that they are not going to have their own ambition, that they're just going to kind of fall in line with her own, that, you know, they're kind of just going to be manipulated and also not have any of their own ideas about it. Um, unfortunately, she's really wrong in all cases, really, um, but she's especially wrong with Glimmer because Glimmer has an enormous amount of ambition and she is not dumb. So once Shadow Weaver starts putting these ideas in her head that she needs to be the one to be the strong queen who runs everything and she needs to be the one to take decisive action and she needs to end the war. Well, Glimmer takes that to heart really quickly and she starts formulating her own plans and having her own ideas. And this is the opposite of what Shadow Weaver wants, of course. She wants her to have exclusively ideas fed to her by her little you know, grand vizier over here, but um, that's not quite how it works in real life, uh, nor is that how it works in the show. And, and Glimmer kind of becomes everyone's worst nightmare very slowly because she starts getting, not only does she get this horrible advice and she starts kind of having her own ambitions and her own ideas of how to follow it, but she also starts feeling so isolated and like she can't share what she's doing with anyone else. Like she starts to feel like the, she starts to feel like the, the, uh, there's like a name for this archetype of like the, the lone regent who like is beset on all sides by betrayers and, uh, has to keep everything secretive and, and close to the chest. Yeah, it's it's that, and it's also like, yeah, she's not going on adventures, so she's not getting, she's not actually there for any of the stuff that Bo and Adora learn in season four about the heart of Etheria. She's not there to actually see Mara's last message. Message. She doesn't learn any of this firsthand. She gets, she just gets Bo and Glimmer walking in and saying, okay, well, this thing is actually really bad, and we shouldn't use it. 
uh, just trust us on this. And she's like, what? No, this is like the only chance we have. And that's the other thing. She fully buys into the idea of the heart of Etheria is the best option to destroy the Horde. Yeah, and she's being guided again by kind of the paragon of duty herself, Miss Lighthope over here, who, you know, suddenly Glimmer gets to have her as an advisor. And, you know, if Shadow Weaver was enabling the worst side of Glimmer, Lighthope is absolutely enabling an even deeper, darker side because she's enabling her just complete and total duty-focused, like, no shred of, like, moral conception left kind of attitude that she gets once she starts feeling like she kind of gets into this mode where she's like you know this the only thing that matters is stopping the war the only thing that matters is stopping the war no matter what the cost is and it's it's not exactly good but it's also it's kind of thing that happens when when you get put into this kind of position i feel like um when you're when when you're in this this very desperate horrible situation it's like you need to have other people around to stop you from doing this and unfortunately for her everyone that could be has kind of been ousted from her from her circle at that point yeah like season four really is just the downward spiral of absolutely everybody in the show except shadow weaver probably I mean, I'd say for Shadow Weaver too a little bit because she like this was kind of I'd argue like her last opportunity to really like get power, right? Like this was her last chance, really. Like in season five, right? She's still trying to grasp at the heart of Etheria, but like it's mostly grasping. No one is really convinced by anything she's saying, nor is anybody willing to let her have that. Like everyone is like, listen we're just gonna take you out if we feel like you're trying to go for this so it's kind of a moot point yeah like literally i think the first scene of her in season five is her in the war room in the camp and everyone she's like everyone's just like shut up about the heart of ethereal we're not doing it shut shut up yeah like in season five everyone is basically done with shadow weaver and in fact like people just barely give her a tiny bit of a chance um right towards the end there when they're trying to get to the fail safe and then of course it, it's revealed that she was withholding information and nobody wants anything to do with her at that point yeah the only reason she was able to get in is because Castispella wasn't around for a lot of this stuff so she still she wasn't quite as done with shadow weaver as everyone else was yeah um but yeah, but no, in season four, of course, that was that was like her last chance, right? Is like everyone else was done with her nonsense, but Glimmer wasn't. Glimmer didn't know that much about her other than, of course, what Adora had said to her. And while that was bad, it was abstract. And, you know, you'll you'll find this happens, you know, especially when it comes to like these very manipulative kind of parental figures, right? Where they'll be like you if you have not experienced what that person is like you know and they come they they can come across as charming or helpful or like you know generally fine um and it's not that you get into a position where say you don't believe your friend but it gets to a point where you're 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 questioning how severe anything was and it, it gets 
you know, and that the whole interaction in season four between between Glimmer and Shadow Weaver kind of hits on that because, you know, Adora the whole time is just like, how can you possibly trust her after everything I've told you about what she's done to me? And, you know, Glimmer, of course, not having experienced any of that has only experienced Shadow Weaver being nice or, you know, perceptively nice. You know, it creates this dissonance and, of course, Shadow Weaver is just feeding Glimmer everything that she wants to hear and everything that would make her feel like Adora's judgment is not to be trusted. So yeah, it's like this, this very real, this, this very real factor of manipulation that kind of happens, um, in these kind of dynamics. So like, once again, they, they, I feel like this show does a really good job of like modeling how these kind of like abusive dynamics exist like in a way that makes sense and is kind of true to life. I I tend to agree with that. Yeah, not to segue away from the heavy stuff, but like I also wanted to talk a little bit in the spoiler zone about some Glitra. Oh yeah, because that question got me. That question got me thinking. Yeah, for sure. So here's my question to you. The question part one of the question: How long do you think they were in space in season five? Because the the timeline is a little sketchy. That is a good point. Do you mean how long they were in space in uh, Darla, or how long they were in space in um, On the Velvet Glove? On the Velvet Glove. How long were Catra and Glimmer stuck on the glove? Hmm. I'm going to say at least maybe one or two months, like minimum. Space is large. Space is big. Space is really big. I'm going to say, like, minimum two months. Probably longer. Maybe, I would say definitely less than four months, but longer than two. That's generally the the consensus I see from a lot of people. All right, part two of this question. Did they have a thing on the Velvet Glove? I think kind of. I think it's kind of like... So, obviously, there was, like, the, the, the tension that you get when you're you know, trying to kill each other a little bit, right? Like, that rival tension or whatever. Um, there's that aspect of it, but, like, I think then there was that that second layer of, like, you're the only thing that is familiar to this other person in a wildly hostile environment, and you're trying to stick together. You know, you still don't really like each other, but, like, you have to stick together because both of you are going to go absolutely nuts if you don't. And, you know, over time, they both start realizing more and more how much of a desperate situation they're in. Like, especially Catra. Like, you know, Catra at first, she's like, oh, this is just like Hordak. I can manipulate this guy and rise up the ranks. And maybe eventually I can supplant him and become new Horde Prime. And, of course, that gets shut down basically instantly. Because as it turns out, Horde Prime is pretty smart. um, And he kind of figured that was going to happen. Um... And, yeah, I think that definitely, especially that one scene where Katra and Glimmer are just kind of sitting back to back on the laser fence, and they're just having, like, this really, like, vulnerable conversation. Like, yeah, I think definitely there was some, there was some stuff going on there. Man, I love that scene. That scene's so good. It's a, it is such a good scene. It's just, it's a really tender scene in like an otherwise just really hopeless and like desperate moment for the two of them. Like it's it's a really 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 good scene. 
Is that in corridors or launch? I think it was in launch. I maybe. I want to say it was corridors because it was like, it was not the last time that they talked in the cell before they started trying to make like their their breakout. But hmm, no, it might have been launch actually. No, no, you're right. I think it's corridors because I think launch ends with Catra like coming to Glimmer's cell and just silently sitting there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah, we'll get there when we get to season five. I actually, I actually think launch is maybe one of my least favorite episodes of the whole show. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's very good. Um, it's not as bad to me as the season four premiere, but I think it's easily the weakest season five episode. And I think one of the weaker episodes overall. But we'll get there when we get there. Well, you got to balance it out somehow, right? If you have that many bangers, you got to have one, you know, one that isn't quite so good mixed in. Yeah, maybe we should hit that that curious cat uh, with the spoilery stuff at the second half of it. So let me go ahead and get that real quick before we sign off. Bo has a very hard time carrying Catra. And remember, Adori, Adora carries Catra bridal style easily. In season five, Bo can finally lift Catra. Is this because Catra is unconscious and Adora and Bo uh, carry her in season five? Or is Adora super strong and Bo hits the gym extra hard? That's a good question. I feel like it's kind of a mix of two, honestly. Like, one, Adora is just absolutely shredded. Like, even Unshirad, the girl is just a monster. And and Bo definitely, like, gets stronger over time. I feel like they all do, right? Like, over the course of the show, they get, like, physically stronger. Um, like, I think even in, like, their character designs, like, they get slightly, like, more muscular towards the end of season five. I mean, especially Shira. You can you look at season five Shira. You look at season one Shira. It's like looking at two different people. Oh yeah, like yeah, Shira went to the went to the space gym and uh, she got she got pretty she got pretty shredded. But um, <laughs> season five Shira is built like a Mack truck. Yeah, and it and it and it whips. It's really good. Um, but yeah, like, I think also part of it is that, like, Catra being unconscious, right? Like, carrying an unconscious person is not exactly easy, but it's a lot easier when, you know, versus, like, that person intentionally trying to be as heavy and cumbersome to carry as possible. Right, I think that's the thing in this episode here. Uh, Catra is very purposefully being horrible. She's definitely, like digging her heels in and like making herself as heavy as possible so it's impossible to carry her yeah she's doing like a fully arched back and like straightening her legs so Bo can't like scoop her up or anything like he kind of just has to hold her up by the shoulders it's like it's the most inconvenient possible way to be if someone's trying to carry you yeah when you're carrying anything heavy what you really really need the most is leverage to to the, the lifting part and the carrying part you need leverage you know, I work in a warehouse. It's all about the leverage. Otherwise, you're just going to strain your back or whatever. Um, and it's much easier to get that when the person is unconscious. Also, when does he carry her in season five? That's a good question, actually. Um. Oh, oh, I remember. I'm doesn't doesn't Adora hand Catra to them at the end of Save the Cat? Yes, because then then she goes out to uh, to go fight the space force. Um. With a bunch of laser beams. No, no, no. That's the next episode. I think the the the, the end of Save the Cat. They're on the they're on the thing. They're on the the, the spaceship. 
Uh, she hands Catra a bow and then like does the big sword burst to knock out all of the horde bots. Ah, right, 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 right. And it's also yeah, like so it's like one you're 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 uh, getting that that person handed to you by someone who's much taller, so it's way easier to get leverage, as we said. And like yeah, he probably he hit the gym. He's been he's been fighting a war for however long. How long do you think the series takes place over? I see a lot of like two or three years, and I tend to agree with that. I feel like two or three years probably makes sense, right? Like a lot of stuff happens, and like there's there's like vague seasonal change. I think in a couple portions of the show, so like I'd say like at minimum like two years, probably closer to three, especially because like everyone by season five i think they just look more mature like they're a little taller a little like more muscular a little more defined like they have a lot less of like like glimmer especially has much less like baby face going on like she just she just looks more mature glimmer early seasons very very round just sort of in the face um and she definitely sort of grows into her her queenly stature as the show goes on yeah exactly exactly i think with that we're done that's a wrap on this episode questions out of here spoiler zone done i think we did it congratulations knocked it knocked it out and basically at an hour exactly which is pretty fun yep so once again you know you already heard where to find us you know patreon hit us up listen to some owl cast that's a fun show yeah, that one's a lot of fun. It's got a real Gravity Falls vibe to it, if you're into that. Pretty fun. Which makes sense, since we learned that Alex Hirsch and Dana Terrace are, are dating. Yeah, that's a wild one. The connections you make. Small world. Small world, indeed. But with that, I've been one of your hosts, Jane. And I've been the other host, Nero. And we'll catch you on the other side of the dimension of Pod Caspandos.